Welcome. My name is Amanda, and this is True Crime Psycho Soup. This is episode two of Psycho Soup. This unsolved case is near and dear to my heart, as this story shook a small town very close to where I live. Today we're traveling back to 2010, where the town of Orangeville, Ontario is still mourning the death of much-loved nurse Sonia Varashin. Although the case is 13 years old to date, I don't think anybody who lived in or around Orangeville in August of 2010 will ever forget the tragic day that our community lost our beautiful Sonia. Sonia was 42 years old at the time of her disappearance and is remembered as a very happy person who could achieve anything she set her mind to. She loved to travel, hike, ski, and she adored children. She's missed dearly by her family, her mother Michelle, her father Attilio, her brother Viv, and sister Nadia. Michelle and Attilio also had another son, older than Sonia. His name was Vivian. Unfortunately, they lost Vivian at 17 months old in a tragic car accident. Ironically, Sonia was born the same date that Vivian passed. Sonia worked at various hospitals as a pediatric nurse that worked in the neurological unit, the burn ward, to the cancer ward. In video interviews with Michelle, she proudly displays countless picture drawings that Sonia's former patients drew for her as thanks. Michelle explains that Sonia changed the dose of a patient's prescribed medication and was confronted as to why she did it. Ever since the incident, Sonia felt as though she was treated like a criminal by the hospital staff. The tension between Sonia and her supervisor ultimately led Sonia to move on with her career. Sonia would now be starting her new job at a pharmaceutical company. While working at the hospital, Sonia injured her shoulder, which required her to take a few weeks off to heal. Michelle states that Sonia never received disability, and the Human Resources Department was unaware of any issues between Sonia and the staff at the hospital. Strangely, Sonia had an important meeting to attend where they would discuss the disability payments on Monday morning. Sonia was punctual regarding her employment and was the type to call if she was ever going to be late. Sonia would never show up to that meeting. On Monday, August 30th, 2010, police are called by a local woman regarding an abandoned vehicle just off the main strip of Orangeville in a back alley near Town Hall. A white Toyota Corolla with the front doors and trunk wide open blood on the bumper, and blood on the door handle. The police check the neighboring businesses to see if they can locate the owner of the vehicle. With no luck, they search the car and find Sonia's identification tag. The police get in touch with Sonia's mom and ask if Sonia is with her. Sonia had visited her parents' home in Bolton the day prior for lunch. Her father washed her car while Sonia and her mother and brother sat to chat. Her brother Viv suggests they go see-doing, to which Sonia declines. She insists that she must head home to brush up on her French, as her new pharmaceutical job required her to be bilingual. The police inform Michelle that they have found Sonia's car abandoned, but that they are still looking for Sonia. This leads the police to Sonia Varashin's home. At 10 o'clock in the morning, a short kilometer away, in a maze-like subdivision, police arrive at Sonia's Spring Street home, only to find the garage door open and a fair amount of blood on the front steps. There is no sign of forced entry, and the evidence of this crime is throughout the townhome, starting in her bedroom. After investigators examine the scene, they state that they do not believe Sonia stood a chance against her attacker. Sonia's beloved cat Jazzy was also seemingly missing. Sonia called her mother on the phone every night before she went to sleep, unless she had company over. 
The night of Sonia's disappearance, Michelle didn't hear from Sonia. Michelle states in an interview in 2020 that she suspects that Sonia was not alone that evening. On Wednesday, September 1st, a video clip is released to the general public depicting a white van driving in the area of Sonia's abandoned car on that Monday morning around 4 o'clock. The driver came forward, confirmed to not have witnessed anything out of the ordinary, and was then cleared as a suspect. Residents of this small town offered their help to aid in the search of Sonia. The police suggested residents check their own properties. However, any other requests from residents to volunteer their help were not entertained. One resident reports that they were actually hung up on by the police when offering their help. On Friday, September 3rd, police publicly state that they are also searching for a cream-colored bedsheet and a comforter that were missing from Sonia's room. They speculate it would be a convenient way to transport and hide a body. Then, one by one, Sonia's family is interrogated, including her boyfriend, Ian Rushton. Ian and Sonia had met on a dating site and had been together for about a year. Sonia was open about wanting to settle down and start a family of her own. It's unclear how long Sonia was privy to this information, but Ian was separated from his wife for two years, with whom he shares two children. They live in the United Kingdom. It is clear, however, that Sonia did not share this information with her parents. Ian's work contract in Canada had not been renewed in May of 2010, so Ian shared with Sonia that he would be starting to plan his move back to England to be closer to his children. Sonia told her mother that Ian was moving back home to be closer to his sister. Ian states in an interview that he and Sonia continued to be boyfriend and girlfriend, although one of Sonia's friends mentioned that they broke up after Ian shared the news that he would be moving back home. On Sunday, September 5th, shortly after 9 o'clock in the morning, a walker with his dog discover human remains in a wooded area off Beech Grove Side Road and Mountain View Road in Caledon. Caledon is the neighboring town of Orangeville. The location of the found remains is approximately 12 kilometers, or seven and a half miles, east of Sonia's home. Later in the day, the public learns that the remains are confirmed to be those of Sonia Varashin. Sonia's family is finally able to go into her house to gather her belongings, as her home is no longer an active crime scene. Sonia's cat, Jazzy, was found and reunited with Michelle, whom she now cares for. While gathering Sonia's belongings, Michelle takes notice of something that's missing. Sonia purchased herself a nightgown for her birthday the week before her disappearance. The nightgown was nowhere to be found. Michelle called the investigators to forward the information, and she was told that the nightgown is what Sonia was found wearing. Michelle finds this strange. She does not believe that Sonia would answer the door in such clothing, and is still convinced that someone either must have been with her, or at least had access to the home. Someone she knew. There's also speculation among the public that Sonia might be, have been letting her cat Jazzy into the house, and the killer or killers rushed into her home at that opportunity. Many people around town believe that Sonia was being watched, and her routine closely studied in the weeks approaching her murder. Her neighbor Joe says that Sonia never caused any problems and that she was a very nice lady. On Wednesday, September 8th, a news conference was held. It was announced that the bedsheets had been recovered, but it was not mentioned where. During this news conference, the detective on the case says that Sonia's killer was likely wearing a men's size 10 or 11 Dakota or Wind River boot. These boots are sold at Mark's Work Warehouse. The storefront in Orangeville says that they sell hundreds of this style of boot each year. The detective calls on the public for assistance, asking residents to report anyone with stained boots that match the description, or if they are aware of someone recently disposing of such boots. A memorial was held for Sonia in October. Over 700 people were in attendance, including her boyfriend, Ian. 
Ian stood out, seemingly devastated, and the tallest in the crowd. Later, Ian posted on Sonia's memorial page. His post reads, This is Sonia's favorite song. She would want everyone to remember her dancing and singing to this song. It expressed how much she enjoyed life. I miss you so much. Along with a link to the song, Pencil Full of Lead, by Paolo Nutini. I took the opportunity to listen to the song that Ian had posted on the memorial page for Sonia, and I must admit, my arms were absolutely covered in goosebumps, and I couldn't help but smile. It is such an uplifting and happy song. I can definitely see why this was one of Sonia's favorites. We are now eight months into the investigation, and the police inform the media they have DNA, and it's only a matter of time before the killer is caught. They encourage male residents 18 years of age and older to come forth and volunteer their DNA to be cleared as a suspect in order to make the suspect list as short as possible. Over 700 men volunteer their DNA to be cleared, and detectives will now not confirm or deny whether the DNA sample is even viable. In 2014, four years after Sonia's violent murder, Surveillance is released to the public of two men in a gazebo on camera not far from the location of Sonia's abandoned car. The two men came forward and it was determined that they were not involved and saw nothing. Speculation as to why it took so long to release the footage or ask questions about these two men until almost four years later stems back to some territory issues. We used to have what was called the Orangeville Police Service, to which now I will continue to refer to as the OPS, and we have the OPP, which is the Ontario Provincial Police. Sonia's home and where her car was found was under OPS territory, whereas Sonia's remains were located in OPP territory. Initially, I found that Michelle did not believe Ian was a suspect. But after Sonia's body was found, Michelle quickly realized that this is the road that Ian took to work, as well as to and from Sonia's house. Michelle reveals in a 2020 interview that Sonia's computer was analyzed and she had not been active on any dating sites in the past year. The detectives state that Ian has been extensively interviewed and that he left the country, but is still cooperative. Ian agrees to be interviewed by the media for the first time in 2020. Ian confirms that he and Sonia met online in the spring of 2009 and that they hit it off right away. They went on a hike in Blue Mountain, and that he told Sonia in May of 2010 that he'd be moving back home to the UK. The Saturday before Sonia went missing, Ian says they went on a hike together, which also happened to be the last known photos ever taken of Sonia alive. That night, Ian claims that Sonia gave him a ride home downtown so that he could continue packing, and then she returned home. They spoke on the phone around 9 or 10 p.m. that evening. Ian states to my surprise that the police never asked to see his residence nor analyze his computer when living in Canada during the investigation. He also mentions that having your girlfriend going missing is terrifying. He was afraid that being the boyfriend, he would be the one blamed. Ian reveals that he applied for a firearms license for clay pigeon shooting as a hobby. He's told that his name was flagged when ran through Interpol, denying his application. After 2011, Ian lost contact with the Varashian family and deleted his social media because of web sleuths trying to get information out of him and quite blatantly harassing him. Sonia's family still does not know how their beloved daughter and sister died. No post-mortem was ever released. All they know is where she was found. Michelle and Attilio still bravely speak out, asking for help from the community, although Michelle doesn't have hope that Sonia's killer will be found. 
Efforts are still being made to this day to identify and apprehend whomever killed Sonia. To date, there have been over 1,500 submitted tips. Sonia's brother Viv visits Sonia's memorial, where she was found, once a week. Her family also had a memorial put in place at her favorite ski resort, Blue Mountain, in Collingwood. One of her brother's most memorable quotes from Sonia whenever he requests they leave the ski hill and head for home. It reads, One more run. If you have any information regarding the murder of Sonia Varashin, or if you were in the area and saw or heard anything out of the ordinary, please contact Crime Stoppers. There is a reward in place for tips leading to the arrest or solving of Sonia's tragic case. And remember, a tip that may seem insignificant or small to you could just be the last piece of that puzzle. Someone knows something. Someone has the key. Do you have your own theories about Sonia's killer or killers that you want to share on the pod? We'll have a discussion on our social media if you're interested in sharing your opinion. You can always email me privately if you wish. I'm always looking for suggestions on different cases to cover, and it seems to be kind of a local trend, so if you have something local too, I'd love to hear it. Please don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you're notified on when I put out my next episode, and it really helps my channel. You can email us at contactpsychosoup at gmail.com, and if you're looking for our socials, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash psychosoup or on Instagram at podcast psychosoup. Thanks for listening to Psycho Soup. And remember, it's always a good time to listen to some true crime.